Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Phanthropological, the podcast that explores the breadth of human fandom. My name is Nick G, but you may know, know me better as Vaporwave producer MC Trinitron. Um, and today we're going to be talking about Vaporwave. And here with me to do that are my two best friends, Nick T. I don't have anything today, and it doesn't matter. Nothing matters. And Nick Z. I'm giving up on trying to sell your things that you ain't buying. Oh, it's your move. Coming from Floral Shop Number One, 2011. It's me, Z. Lisa, Lisa Frank, 420. I'm like, is that is that a joke? And the answer is no. That's I think that's a real track. Yes, it is. I mean, we've done a lot of topics that um, sounds like us just being old men in a corner yelling, but this might be the one that uh, sets the bar for future episodes. Well, and I don't know if it'll be old men yelling so much as old men not understanding, or in the case of Vaporwave, uh, old men watching something move very quickly. And speaking of things going very quickly, I'm going to very quickly describe Vaporwave in case you're wondering what the heck we're talking about. And to be honest, I'm not completely convinced that I know what we're talking about. I, I, I have a really good quote here from uh, Michelle Locke of Vice Media, which describes, you know, what Vaporwave is. And uh, it goes like this. Imagine taking bits of 80s music, late night infomercials, smooth jazz, and that tinny tune receptionist play when they put you on hold. Then chopping that up, pitching it down, and scrambling it to the point where you've got saxophone goo dripping out of a cheap plastic valve. That's Vaporwave. I think I'm starting to get it now. If you read that quote, you're like, ah, I understand it. And then if you keep reading about it, you don't understand it. And if you keep reading a little bit more, then you get it again. And then maybe you lose it. That's where I'm at. Researching it reminded me of um, something awful's FYAD forum where I've never comprehended how the humor works in posting. And like every time I go in there, I'm just absolutely mystified. And that's what a lot of this felt like to me. So it's only been, uh, you know, 2010, 2011, but it's uh been quite a journey it seems like yeah i was su- surprised doing the research to find that it only emerged in the 2010s and then uh before we started z was like oh let's do one on let's do an episode on vaporwave uh let's let's do research into you know is it is it dying or is it dead and i'm like i've never heard of this thing how is it even uh but maybe a better point to start from is our first impressions and i think we should start with z because this is your brainchild. This is your saxophone goo. That's right. It is my saxophone goo, and uh, I will love and cherish this saxophone goo until it is able to uh, solidify and become something more, or maybe just remain saxophone goo for the rest of its days. I forget how I first stumbled across Vaporwave. Somehow, through YouTube's uh, algorithms, I was recommended something along those lines, and I think it probably started out with Lo-Fi Chill Hop, which admittedly, before we started this episode, before we even started the research, I would have just classified as Vaporwave. And it seems like that's not too far off, but it's also very far off. It was, it was this music on the internet that just made me feel things that other music did not. A kind of strange manufactured nostalgia. And I thought, surely this must be a thing that you know, there's some kind of community around, some kind of fandom around. I mean, you could, you could, it could be summed up with what my famous last words were last week, because 
like like my famous last words were is this a joke is vaporwave a joke i remember watching some video about c-punk and how mainstream has co-opted vaporwave or something like that and i remember i've i have this vague memory of low chill lo-fi hip-hop beats and like a picture of echo the dolphin and that's all i remember to vaporwave <laughs> so i thought it was just like a fun meme thing where everything looks bad intentionally but that's that was about all i had i mean i don't think my impression was that much different than yours except maybe i had even less context like g as uh, z had said you know we're gonna do this and i'm like cool i've heard of this i couldn't tell you where and i don't know anything about it the best i could guess is it's like oh I wonder if Vaporwave is just some like bit of a bit of some genre that I don't know that maybe, uh, and I use the term hipster broadly, but that only hipsters listen to, uh, which after doing some research, I think I'm pretty wrong on that on at least on the hipstery part, but, but maybe not on the facet of a facet part. No, you could, you could see this being like a sub, sub, sub genre of like new, new wave or no wave or cold wave or like like anything like that right it, it it sort of slots in but the idea that uh came across is that like vaporwave comes from the idea of vaporware which is software that doesn't ever come out yes advertised but never sold which sort of leads into the um the anti-authorial idea of vaporwave like it's it sounds like going through the history, everyone who who made any sort of vaporwave seminal vaporwave album at the very least early on was another more famous producer under a pseudonym. That was something that I found fascinating too, because there was this sense, and I forget which article I read this from, but there's this sense that every bit of vaporwave that you find should almost sound like a bootleg that you found at a thrift store that no one else can find. And at the same time that the authors don't exactly care that they're known for the work. It's almost just a joy to discover this, this music. Yeah. There's like, there's like a a sense of like anti fame. So, so, so everyone, everybody's names, nom de plumes, noms de plume. He was very close to like the, the aesthetics and the idea of the genre because they're all, just pseudonyms and that seems like it's half the fun like daniel lapatin whose oniatrix point never is incredible i listened to a bunch of his albums and he's great i had no idea he was involved with this this whole biz yeah he was one of the first people to to make something so-called vaporwave with his uh, echo jams i forget if i listened to echo jams but i remember doing the research and listening to some vaporwave and just being thoroughly disturbed it might have been Echo Jams. That one's a bit rough. And also, um, which we'll probably get into in a little bit, there's a big difference in what era of Vaporwave. We're talking about like a less than a decade's worth of music, but yeah. a huge amount of variation within that decade. Yeah, yeah. I, I thought it would be very easy to paint it as one like a meme or like or like 80s culture with a beat or something like that. But um the the closest thing that I that I could come up with that sort of summed up the the ethos of vaporwave is like a celebration of the banal. Oh yeah, there there was a lot of articles that were talking about you know the music should sound like 
music that you'd hear in the background at a shopping mall that's abandoned. <laughs> the abandoned yeah. part might be trending towards later vaporwave, but like just very reminiscent of malls, which were very popular in like the eighties and nineties and very reminiscent of just, yeah, like that banal music just plays. There's nothing particularly memorable to it. Just a bunch of loose feelings of that time. It's music and sounds that are originally intended to be done while you passed time or ignored. You are now made to focus on in vaporwave. Yeah. It's like mall music. I heard, I heard uh, the windows 95 startup noise in there. There's Skype noises um they take like like the tiniest the schlockiest little bit of sex reverb from a pop single in 87 and stretch that out over a whole song weirdly a lot of sex yeah in vaporwave as far as i heard so is it dead that is a great question to ask ask two people who are decidedly (laughs) non-experts i mean to, to answer with a little bit more thought put into it I think, based on what I've learned, that Vaporwave is maybe only dead in the sense that it's not the same as when it started. I get the impression that when it started, it's kind of this thing where there's a 90% chance that anybody who you've heard of who's talking about Vaporwave, it is that like meme kind of music. It's like, take well, I think there's a good example of one of the earlier artists, like Africa, slowed down with other music played and giving this like slightly disturbing, slightly eighties inspired slow jam kind of thing. Uh, and that's, that's kind of where you get like the echo jams and things like that. I've inadvertently been listening to a descendant of vaporwave in the form of future funk. And that retains Mm. some aspects of the music. It's got like a lot of the eighties sound, but it doesn't sound like a meme. It sounds like real music. Well, it seemed like it's feature funk is almost in the opposite direction. Like, like it's, it's, it's the idea of like stuff that sounds like soul classics, but like sped up mm. into, into a groove. But I mean, I, I don't think it's dead. I think it's changed a lot. And from a lot of the research folks had definitely not agreed on what vaporwave is, but they did seem to agree that itself has fractured into many different sub-genres, micro-genres upon micro-genres. One of the videos that I, uh, I used for my research was um, about, I forget what the title was, but it was on the channel Deep Underscore Cuts. And uh, in one part of the video, you know, it talks about all sorts of things, talks about hauntology and this and that and the other. One point in the video, an image comes up on the screen and it's um, an image of somebody, you know, gesturing towards a big list of words like various waves, witch house, uh, Simpson wave, vaporwave, Zelda wave, all these different names for various genres. And at the top of that side of the image, it says uh, a pro, an expert, something like that. On the other side of the image, the heading is the noob. And it's a person gesturing to a single word, vaporwave. So I definitely get the impression that maybe the original idea, the original niche of vaporwave is dead. But only because people have figured out, like you, like you said, subgenres or micro niches within vaporwave that are still viable. Let's let's be honest; they're not micro niches. They're like nano niches. I mean, <laughs> I mean, this is you know, 
We're, I mean, we're specifically talking about vaporwave here, the first, uh, you know, internet born, internet created, internet uh, profligated genre. But mm-hmm. micro genres are, are like, you know, the the layperson using an umbrella term is not not unique to vaporwave. I mean, I feel like in the 90s, everyone call everyone said techno when they could have meant techno, electronica, house, drum and bass, jungle, acid, etc. I mean, like if it's dead, that fits its image, right? <laughs> it's about you know the the ghosts of uh, of of early computer pop culture, kind of. Um, and as as we move along in vaporwave, as we talked about, there's there's more emphasis on using that old um, the sounds of that old pop culture to create a narrative and within the music to be not you're not just hearing. You know the Windows startup noise with a beat. You're hearing somebody experiencing listening to the Windows startup noise through the lens of the past, and a term that came up quite a lot when doing the research was hypnagogic. And I just so happened to have Ian King's Appetite for Definition right here, which has an entry on hypnagogic pop, which is not quite the same thing. But it says hypnagogic pop is pop music refracted to the memory of a memory. It draws its power from the 1980s pop culture into which many of the genre's players were born. So it's at once, you know, refracting the idea of remembering the 80s through its own lens. And at the same time, for a while there, was taking on board mostly the idea of the corporatism and materialism of the 80s and uh, trying to eschew it. I probably don't dig as deep into the music that I listen to because I I mostly listen to music to to feel something. But that doesn't mean I, I really reflect on its content, especially when it's not lyrical content. Mm-hmm. But like in order to understand vaporwave, I had to figure out what chill wave was and chill wave is like taking a memory and kind of freezing it and the feeling that's associated with that. And so I was like, I didn't really get vaporwave until I understood that because then vaporwave is like, okay, what if you had this memory of the eighties and all this boom in the economy and all this other stuff and capitalism and whatnot, as you were saying, it's only when you connect those two thoughts that I'm like, oh, I kind of understand this. <laughs> As Frank Zappa said, talking about music is like dancing about architecture. Very well put, I've got to say. Especially when you're talking about something like Vaporwave, where I think maybe the, the entire thrust of it is to make people feel things, right? It's about evoking that nostalgia, even if it's a nostalgia for something that you never directly experienced. One of the articles was talking about how most of the people producing Vaporwave are like in their 20s and as such could not have possibly experienced the 80s <laughs> at all. Like even even the three of us have barely experienced the 80s. It's alive, alive for four years of it. But I mean, like looking at it, it's it's it reminds me of steampunk, to be quite honest, because steampunk's all focused around, you know, like eight, the 18, the late 1800s. And I don't think many I don't think any practitioners of steampunk were alive then. Um, and it's kind of remodeling that aesthetic to suit how we feel about it now. Actually, that's really true because if you take away the aesthetic part, which I feel like many people argue is important to the genre, like listening to Vaporwave is not the same as watching a video of Vaporwave with like the distorted VCR VHS kind of visuals. But like if you separate the aesthetic argument for a moment and take a look at Vaporwave, then it's kind of like the punk movement 
except instead of just being you know rebelling and just being angry about it it's almost like giving in and just accepting the nihilistic nature of of everything and radiohead's been doing that for 20 years i don't know how they've not gotten into vaporwave <laughs> but but radiohead radiohead's whole thing is like everyone's out to get you but what's the point in trying to fight it it's going to happen anyway but um yeah yeah a lot of you know ideas of of abandoned malls and uh avenues of power avenues of money avenues of capitalism long since emptied and now we're sort of looking back on it with 2020 vision i mean that being said if there's not like a distinct if i can't really pick out what's being like sampled or used there you stick it in you stick it in uh in uh 24 7 lo-fi chill hip-hop beats to relax and or study to i'm not really gonna notice the difference okay so i was very confused during the research for this episode, as previously established, and I said, hey, you know, what is the difference between Vaporwave and lo-fi hip-hop, or just lo-fi in general? And I've got you covered because somebody decided to answer that question on Reddit. Uh, From this Reddit thread, what are the main differences between Vaporwave and lo-fi? They say, lo-fi music utilizes an unkempt, gritty feel for rhythmic purposes. Now, Vaporwave, on the other hand, still utilizes such effects, but with different meaning. Got it. See? Completely clears it up. Yeah. I, like, I paraphrased, but the actual quote from that user is, is not actually that much clearer. It does mention that Vaporwave tends to use a lot of recursive and almost psychedelic elements and mm-hmm. focuses more on the feeling that you're experiencing rather than just the aesthetic. But I feel like that's pretty subjective. And I, f- I feel like, like we don't need to spend an, an episode uh, defining lo-fi hip-hop. But like generally, I feel like it's like the beats have the sound of a lot of artifacting as if they were as if they came off of old records. Like they have that sort of hiss along with them. And that's sort of the feel of lo-fi versus vaporwave when you are uh, weeping at Weeping at the crumbling dust that are one that once mighty Wall Street uh, was in the eighties. I feel like I did not listen to enough. I guess of current vaporwave. I was just gonna say, as soon as you said there was Simpsons wave, I lost it. <laughs> I think that entirely is just a nostalgia trip. I mean, and the fact that it started out on, on a shit posting forum, on, it started out on the Facebook shit posting page. It's just so, so one person. Being like, hey, there's this vaporwave thing. There's Simpsons. I can mash together the clips a little bit. That's crazy. What I was getting at was that maybe I just was buying into the hype of everything that I was reading about it. You know, like, oh, it's this criticism of of the the excesses of the eighties, uh, but it's very sarcastic and ironic about it, as much of internet culture is. So, is it actually critical or is it actually celebratory? I mean, I kind of fell more on the the critical side of it. Just because it's like taking something that's already been very produced, this pop music, this pop jazz, um, and then producing it more, like just pushing it over the edge. Yeah, it's like it's like over over like deliberate overproduction, like to to um, to lampshade the overproduction to make make a product out of how much of a product something already is, and then stick Japan on it. Japan, Hong Kong, like it again. The aesthetic <laughs> that is very important. It is for sure. 
as we talked about in cyberpunk, like the aesthetic of Japan and later Hong Kong, that it gives us that idea of a future, like of prosperity that we all kind of dream of, but not in the way that it actually turned out or actually not even in the way it's envisioned because often the cyberpunk futures are dystopian. But like <laughs> the the idea of like the bright lights, the bright neon lights reflecting off the water on the ground and like every available space being used for advertisements or or for shops or or whatever have you being very capitalist. This is not that far from cyberpunk. Like cyberpunk is wasn't a musical uh genre, but like the ideas of it and the imagery of it like almost reflect like a cyberpunk sort of ethos. Well, you should listen to some Hong Kong Express then. I am doing that as soon as we are finished this podcast <laughs> today. Not to give away anything of my final yeah. thoughts. So if that's if that's how you feel, G, does that make this an actual genre of music? Or is it just a joke that stumbled into being a genre? It sounds like you have people coming on and getting off at all points. Like some people are like, oh, it's funny. It's like an old dial-up sound with a beat, right? And people can enjoy it on... Yeah. People can can create it and enjoy it at that level. And that's just like a meme, right? I'm not... I've never been super into the aesthetics of the music I'm listening to. Like, like I enjoy seeing people's fashions and stuff like that. But whenever I would hear a song I was waiting for, for the first time, I would never watch the music video with it because I didn't want it to influence how I thought about it. So I always, I'm, I'm a very aural experiencer of music first and foremost. And I think you can't have a dial tone with beats for 40 minutes for very long, right? Like you, people who want, who are interested in music in the music part of Apewave are going to want to make something that they actually care about. Yeah. There's, there's some stuff in there. There's clearly people who take it on board as a serious enterprise, which is how I like my music. So like, it, it sounds like some people stuck with the aesthetic. Some people stuck with the, the, uh, corporate criticism. Some people stuck with the, the familiar sounds, but like, it sounds like this and this idea that we, I came across in the research of it being post music where it's like, you're focusing on the banal parts, the uninteresting parts mm-hmm. and blowing those up under magnifying glass. I think that's sort of interesting, but on another level, like there's some stuff that I just genuinely enjoyed listening to. And if, if I can have that connection with it, I think it's a real show. Oh boy. I get to use my favorite word that I barely know the meaning of. Like, not every person who listens to music or categorizes things knows how to build an ontology. That's not a thing that people know or care about. They, we, we've talked about in minisodes about the usefulness of labels in defining genres and things like that. Actually, we had an episode on, like, on genres. So in general, I think it's really hard to, to pin down what that means. But what I find most interesting about whether or not Vaporwave is a genre is this idea that every artist, as you said, gee, some like some people come in and drop off at different times. But what that means is that like as a genre, as a micro genre, it is this like fascinating map of what people think Vaporwave is. But each person only takes one aspect. Yeah. And each person could also be a vaporwave artist. 
And what was interesting in that uh, YouTube video is I think it was a history of, of Vaporwave or a brief history of Vaporwave or something like that. And at the end, they were talking about how like it might have been Hong Kong Express that they were talking about would just go through the, on SoundCloud, like the Vaporwave tag and enjoyed listening to all the different interpretations of Vaporwave, knowing they'll probably never hear that track again. So like something about the impermanence sort of fits it too. I just find it fascinating that it's like that you have a genre that is tied together by all the things that like that it doesn't have in common. Yes. It's like there's this one thing, like there's this one group of things and every different song takes one of those things, but somehow they're all the same group. There's one thing that I do want to mention about, you know, whether or not it is a genre. I think it is a genre. It has three elements that are easy to define. Uh, if you want to know if something is vaporwave, think about these questions. Is the music tranquil? Does it instill an idea of tranquility? Does it instill a sense of nostalgia? And does it have Greek busts and statues in the album art? If so, vaporwave. Palm trees, maybe? Optional. <laughs> um, fun fact. I think, yep. I think based on these criteria, uh, Arcade Fire's Reflector album <laughs> uh, qualifies as vaporwave. Ooh. I do think that the aesthetic is an important part of vaporwave as a as a genre because if you don't have that it a lot of the music could just yeah be lo-fi or it could be just like background music to an anime or video game or something but if mm-hmm. I, I decided to look up vaporwave album art and if you look it up on like google or something like that there's very clearly a theme a lot of like pastels and neons and the whole like 80s grid and it's it's what I what kept coming to mind is like anti aesthetic. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, even though it is an aesthetic, it's like deliberately not neat, deliberately not like <laughs> pretty or not are not what we are used to now. And I feel like that idea has dripped into some fashion, some fashion that I like without even <laughs> knowing its uh, its connection. But like. It just like just album art with like a dumb 3D triangle and like Times New Roman on it. It's got like a very 80s aesthetic. Yeah, and that seems to be a central part of it. To me, I would say that it's definitely more of a genre than just a meme. I, th- I would agree with um, one of the posters and one of the Reddit uh, threads that I was reading that some aspect of it will probably always be seen as meme whether that's the aesthetic itself or like the pretentiousness of the the supposed ideals that are behind it or, you know, the repetitive saxophone goo, um, you know, some part of it will always seem like a meme, but at the same time, it's, it's lasted. I mean, it's strange to say, oh, it's lasted for seven years and therefore it's lasted forever. But like G was saying earlier on in the, in the episode, it's the first internet based music that was made on the internet, distributed on the internet. It's, the internet writ large as music. So seven years is kind of a long time. Yeah. Yeah. And it, I was going to say in response to the vaporwave is dead thing. If you've ever seen the movie almost famous where the kid, the, the, the protagonist comes up to Lester bangs played by Philip Seymour Hoffman. I was like, Oh man, uh, Mr. Bangs, can I write, uh, can I write an article for your magazine? I love rock and roll. And he's like, sorry, man, you're too late. Rock and roll's over. That was 1973. <laughs> have one other question because so much i mean vaporwave 
And the strictest definition of a meme is definitely meme because it's been promoted and promulgated through repetition and and mimicry. Do you think that makes it the most curative of fandoms or the most transformative? Is it kind of both in equal measure? I mean, and this is, I think, very on point for this episode. I don't think any of that matters. <laughs> man, oh man. But like, actually, like, uh, it can be as curative as, as you like. It's like, I'm sure there have been people discussing on the subreddit. It's like, what, what makes up, what makes this vaporwave? What makes this something else? And I don't think you'll get a great answer. And that's probably why you have so many descendants of it. It's like, well, actually, Vaporwave doesn't exist anymore. You have all of these other genres. Um, Transformative-wise, I think, like, yeah, like, it's an important part of it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it's art, right? I mean, some people you have, like, no, it's only, like, like samples of Echo the Dolphin or whatever is Vaporwave. And then other people will be like, <laughs> as soon as... As soon as you can categorize what vaporwave is, they want to do something that's not that, right? So you, you you're going to have those those opposite ends of of if it's an artistic movement, you're going to have opposite ends of the, of the movement. As T said, I don't know if it matters. I mean, they both exist, <laughs> but um, yeah, you know, we don't know we don't know what the future holds. If if it's going to repeat itself, then it's good. Then it is dead. But if it, if it's taking itself to to quote Barney strange new places um then uh, we'll be talking about vaporwave in another 10 years man that'd be pretty wild i will put forth this i don't know if there's another genre where you haven't you have a seminal album and then a different artist comes up with that album too <laughs> that's true <laughs> Like no one did Sgt. Pepper's Only Hearts Club Band 2. Right. All right. I feel like we could we could say a lot and also nothing about uh, Vaporwave. It's a very subjective subject. Uh, but, gee, you were hinting earlier that you might have some final thoughts regarding Vaporwave. And I'm very interested to hear them. I'm not super interested in nostalgia as a rule. Like, I don't want to like watch something or listen to something just because it reminds me of an older thing. That seems like let's get something, let's get something new going on. But I feel like in vaporwave, there's something new enough for me to latch onto that. I'm, I'm getting a lot of enjoyment out of it. And again, I'm probably not going to be watching any videos of vaporwave because that's not my jam. But if there's some good stuff on Spotify, like that Hong Kong express, I'm going to queue up. Um, I will probably, I will probably enjoy that. I thought I was, Scared that when we went into this, we poked Vaporwave and nothing would come out. I was so wrong and so happy to be <laughs> wrong. Oh, there's yeah. there's philosophy and, and, and art and, and symbolism and narrative and everything uh, rolled up into Vaporwave. I think it was a meme, but but the, the snowball became so big that it reached like <laughs> escape velocity to mix metaphors. And it actually like became a real thing that real artists are really doing. And that is super exciting to me. So I'm I'm going to be, you know, I'll check it out from time to time. I'm not I'm not al- always going to be in the mood for a vaporwave, but uh, but I will be listening from now on. My final thoughts kind of segue pretty nicely with my famous last words, um, and those famous last words were 
does anybody working in 2019 as a producer, as a music creator, call what they're doing Vaporwave? As far as I could tell from some light searching, I will admit, uh, the only thing I could turn up was one album by a Mr. or I assume Mr. Who knows? Pad Chennington. Who had uploaded their uh, Vaporwave tribute to 80s boxing called Contrast in February of 2019. Gave it a little listen. You know, it's not bad. But how... And what I take from that is that, you know, as I mentioned before, I get the impression that Vaporwave, you know, never really died. It still lives on. Like all of the old commercial ads and jingles you know, rolling around in your head. They're they're there, just maybe not at the fore. And instead of, you know, people working in Vaporwave, now they're working in those various <laughs> micro-niches, those nano-niches, whatever we want to call them, of the various waves or house or whatever you want to call it. And I think that that pretty much sums up where I'm at with Vaporwave. I don't think I'm going to necessarily seek out whatever new stuff under the uh, new stuff comes out under the vapor wave uh, moniker instead i think i'll probably gravitate more towards the lo-fi chill beats to uh study relax game sleep to um because i really enjoy those they're they're fun little playlists with like semi-animated gif kind of videos you know if you happen to be watching or whatever and that's that's good i'm good with that i'll probably keep listening to floral shop one and uh, echo jams a little bit because there's something it feels like they're shaking something loose you know they're, they're appealing to some part of my psyche that other music doesn't and i think part of that is maybe because when i listen to other music I'm not necessarily paying attention so much to how it's making me feel. I'm paying attention to maybe how the the words sound together or how the the music, the rhythm, beat sounds together. But with Vaporwave, it seems like the the emotional evocativeness is up front. Yeah. So I'm going to keep on trucking with some of these subgenres. Maybe I'll check out some Simpson Wave. Zelda Wave, I haven't really looked into, but uh, I'm curious. I listened to some Simpson wave just to get a feel for it. And I'm just like, this is definitely the meme stuff. (laughs) (laughs) And I have a really hard time thinking of, of Zelda wave, not just being um, like lo-fi Zelda esque or more meme stuff. Yeah. (sighs) CDI Zelda wave. Ooh. Anyway. Uh, No, that's just YouTube poops. (laughs) Yeah. I am completely fascinated and confused by the, not the idea of Vaporwave, but just what is it? It's this, it seems like this living, breathing, growing, changing thing, but it's changing too fast for me to know anything about it. All that I figured out is that I'm not really super keen on early or late stage Vaporwave because the early stuff is slowed down Africa and the late stage stuff is horrifying dystopian abandoned mall but doing the research for this show i found out that there are several genres that came out of 
Uh, there are several micro genres that came out of vaporwave in particular future funk and my playlist already has several <laughs> future funk tracks that i really enjoy uh there's an artist ghost data and i have a couple songs maho shoujo and blatant plagiarism uh, there's another artist future girlfriend that does crazy nights and uh g pointed out right before this episode macross 8299 uh, all of which are future funk and just like i love it it's upbeat it's got boomy guitar and i mean some of it's in japanese but i'm used to listening to like j-pop from anime openings so that's nothing new i get into the part that you're talking about z like the feeling of it and i enjoy that but i don't know i'm not sure i could get into vaporwave other than to learn more about the nooks and crannies of its various offspring like hard vapor which has a quote about (laughs) um an artist talking about you know imagine all these kids trying to make music on Bandcamp, except these kids hated all the slowed down shit and thought it was for pussies so they launched hard vapor (laughs) so i'm like i don't even know what that sounds like i immediately want to finish this podcast and find out and then maybe not like it but like it's just fascinating to me that there's the genre of music where fame isn't super important it's almost ephemeral in some sense but in other areas it's not maybe it's criticizing capitalism maybe it isn't maybe it's a meme maybe it's not who knows nothing has any meaning uh eat at arby's postmodern take on postmodern irony yeah also if you haven't read nihilist arby's on twitter check it out uh i can't read like one or two tweets without like cracking up too good (laughs) so stupid but so good but yeah i'm i'm fascinated by vaporwave and want to learn a little bit more but i feel like i might continue in other directions just like vaporwave so for endless vaporwave updates and endless and free and free arby's coupons head on over to phantopological.com where you can find not only those but over a hundred of our episodes of Phantopological covering a different fandom every week. We're up there and uh, on the podcatcher of your choice. And while you're in there, please leave us a rating or review. That'd be greatly appreciated. If there is a topic you'd like to hear us cover on the show, please do email it nick at thenixcast.com or check us out on uh, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, all at the Nixcast. There's no famous last words, but there is nope. one other segment to get to. Oh boy, we're doing some history. Z. If you please. Yes. An office update. A throwback to earlier this season. Yes. Yes. For those of you in the know, uh, we previously did an episode on The Office. And uh, I had said that, you know, I'm going to check it out. I'm going to watch through the whole thing. And I'm going to see how it stacks up to the UK office and all these things. And I am happy to report that uh, I am indeed watching through the series. I'm right in the middle of season five right now. I've, I got to admit, on the one hand, it's definitely one of those shows where I'm watching it, you know, it finishes and I'm like, oh, let's just watch the next episode. But at the same time, weirdly, in season five, I'm finding myself not not necessarily ready to check out because I know that there are only nine seasons, but not, and it's, it's definitely not the case where I'm watching an episode and I, you know, 
don't really care to watch the next one. Even if it's not a two-parter, I'm still thinking, oh, what kind of crazy antics are coming up next? Uh, will this happen? Will that happen? Will this reveal actually be a thing, or is it just my fan theory? Um, so I'm on board to finish the series right now, but I don't think I'm going to wind up being one of those people, one of those fans who watches it over and over and over. It made some progress. I think you were season yeah. two when we last checked in. Yep. Yeah. I don't know if it's a, I don't know if it's an over and over show for me, but I enjoyed watching it through once. Especially after Michael left the show. Kind of curious to see how I'm going to uh, enjoy the show once Michael has gone. He's not the one I enjoy the most, but does seem to be kind of an integral part of it. And that is a great hook for season 11, as this is the last episode of our 10th season. Oh, it doesn't feel like 10. They're, they're like anime seasons, so like, who knows how long it's <laughs> But thank you everybody so much for listening. We appreciate it. We hope you've enjoyed coming on the journey as much as we've enjoyed taking it. And um, we'll have uh, some little little bits and bobs out for you during the season break, and then we will see you at the top of season 11. So thank you for listening. Goodbye, everybody. And until next time, we'll talk to you next time. Hold on, G. There's actually one thing we've got to cover before we wrap up this episode. We actually have a special announcement from our friends, the Epic Film Guys, and uh, it's a special event that they're running this summer, so let's hear what they have to say. I'm Nick. And I'm Justin, and we can't believe it's already time for the 2019 live stream for The Cure. Thanks to our amazing peers, listeners, and supporters, last year we crushed our goal of $5,000 for the Cancer Research Institute. The Cancer Research Institute is funding research into immunotherapy to create a future immune to all forms of cancer. Every single cent we raise goes to them. And they're also rated over 92% on CharityNavigator.org. This year, we're aiming our sights even higher with our most ambitious event to date. Join us May 17th through the 19th on twitch.tv slash epicfilmguys for 40 hours of live content from us and other amazing shows who will join us to try to reach $7,500. Please visit www.livestreamforthecure for more information or to find out how you can be a part of the event. Together, we can make a difference.